Well, out of reverence and awe for the Word of God, I would invite you to join me in standing as we read God's Word this morning. If you've been with us the past couple of weeks, we've been in the short but glorious letter of the book of Jude, and today we will finish our sermon series in the book of Jude. If you don't have a Bible, you can find one in your chair back in front of you, and our scripture text for this morning is on page 1027. Our scripture reading for this morning will be Jude, verses 17 through 25. And these are the words of God. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, And the last time there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless, before the presence of His glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority, before all time, and now, and forever. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, You are the God of all glory, all majesty, all dominion, all authority, the God who is able to keep us from stumbling, even present us in your presence with the fullness of glory. And so we come before you and we pray that you would give us eyes to see this truth, ears to hear this truth, that we would indeed be rooted in Christ, built up in Christ, established in the faith, even better able to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And so we ask this in Jesus' name, and amen. Please be seated. Well, long before the name Winston Churchill was a household name, indeed long before he was prime minister, and engaging Nazi evil on the world stage, his courage did not go unnoticed. In fact, early on in his career, when Churchill was just a simple war correspondent, in his early 20s, in a very little-known conflict in South Africa, it was his bravery, his fortitude that quickly caught an eye. In fact, one newspaper dutifully commented this about the future leader. Churchill prospers under attack and disparagement. 
he lives on excitement. The more he senses frustration, the more he has to fight for. The greater the obstacles, the greater the triumph. Well, this morning in the book of Jude, we behold the very same phenomenon. Though not with Churchill, of course, but with the church of Jesus Christ. Because the same truth doubly applies to the church in that the church has the most to fight for and the most significant obstacles and indeed all the greater is her triumph. And so our main point this morning to consider is simply this, contending for the faith, agonizing for the faith leads to praising God. It is perseverance with praise. And so we'll walk through this text in two simple portions. Looking firstly at how to contend in verses 17 through 23, and then why we praise in verses 24 and 25. So let's jump right into how to contend. And starting in verse 17, as you look at it, understand that there's a contrast here to the false teachers. When Jude has that word, but, but you must remember. Now we may not often speak of remembering as a spiritual discipline. But you would be amazed as you read through the Bible and you begin to see just how much spiritual deterioration and apathy arises from a failure to remember. I'm sure if you've reared children at some point, you've gone to your children for correction of their disobedience and you've received this impassioned rebuttal. No mom, no dad, you don't understand. I didn't disobey your command, I forgot it. As if that is the end of the argument. And I know I've often reminded my own children that remembering is part of obeying. To remember is to obey. And Jude likewise summons the church saying here, you must remember. It is absolutely vital that you do not fall into a kind of spiritual amnesia. Now if that is what they are to do, namely remember... Let's look at just what it is they are to remember, what it is they're to devote to the memory bank of their heart. As verse 17 continues, you can see Jude says, remember this, the predictions of the apostles. That is to say, apostolic doctrine. That is to say, the inspired word of God. And you can get a fresh appreciation for Jude's concern if you just quickly revisit verse 8, where Jude writes that these false teachers... They, quote, rely on their dreams, and they reject authority. See, much like today, these false teachers forget the Word of God, they deny its authority, and in its place, they prop up a competing authority. And Jude says, may it never be with God's people. May it never be. You remember God's Word. Treasure in your heart. What God revealed through holy men who spoke by the Holy Spirit. They forget, you remember. They rely on their subjective experiences. But you have the certain, infallible word of God. Like the psalmist says, I have stored up God's word in my heart so that I might not sin against him. And this is, frankly, a timely message as there ever was. That in light of the church's capitulation to homosexuality, to the peripheration of the prosperity gospel, to an overall lack of biblical fidelity, Jude asks you, church, what is it that you remember? What does your heart cleave to? Do you have a place, indeed the highest place, 
for remembering and honoring God's word, particularly when facing a plague of false teaching with all its enticing promises. And so Jude says, may your heart be a treasure chest that you can reach into and bring forth afresh the pearls and the powers of God's word. You can see why Jude is so worked up, why he's so resolute with this charge in verse 18. Because here begins this battle cry. That in the last times there will be scoffers. In John Bunyan's famous work, The The Pilgrim's Progress, the sojourner Christian is making his way to the heavenly city. And he comes across this character named Atheist. And it is all Atheist can do but to hold in his, his scornful laughter at Christian's journey. And he explains his mockery as such. I laugh to see what ignorant persons you are to take upon such a tedious journey. You have nothing for your journeys but your pain, for there is no such place as you dream of in all this world. Students, you need to know now, if you don't know already, that there is no shortage of scoffers in this world. Whether it be a classmate, all the way up to an erudite professor, that there will be those who would hold your pursuit of godliness in contempt. But hear the word of God. Hear what the psalmist says. Do not sit in the seat of scoffers, but instead meditate, which is to say, remember the word of God day and night, night and day, and you will, you will be like a tree that is firmly planted by streams of water. Now, we don't know the precise nature of the mockery in Jude. Maybe it's like Peter. These mockers are denying the coming of Christ. But at any rate, we do see why they laugh and scoff. As you look at verse 18, and he explains, they are following their own ungodly passions. See, mockery is not a function of just being a skeptic, of being critically minded, of being thought out. No, Jude says this mockery is a function of lustful, greedy passions of those who would want to twist grace into a license to sin. And so you can see Jude's concern is not simply their ridicule, but their rotten fruit. As you jump to verse 19, because he explains these worldly people, void of the Spirit, are causing division. As we've seen in Jude, more than this is a threat from without the church, it's a threat from within the church. Within the church walls. That there are those who claim this Elite spirituality. And they are in fact the ones causing division. And spreading infection to the body of Christ. The very one who claims spiritual understanding are in fact without the spirit. And therefore governed by their fallen flesh. But in light of such division. We're positively reminded of what the work of the spirit is. That the work of the spirit is not only to unite us to Christ. But also to unite us to one another. That as Ephesians says, that we are to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That a Spirit-filled Christian is a Christian who is eager for unity. And so, it's as if Jude now pivots. And he turns from the slanderous scoffer to the church and he delivers this counteroffensive in verse 20. When he says, but you, you beloved, build yourselves up in the most holy faith, and pray in the Spirit. It's as if Jude says, hey, don't you dare let all that foolishness impede your progress. Don't you dare let scoffers impede the pursuit of godliness because here are two things 
two things that you can do that are the antidote to infection. Number one, build yourselves up. It was back in the book of Ezra in the Old Testament when God commissioned the people to rebuild the temple. Brick by brick, layer by layer, you could say. And it wasn't long before the enemies of God came and said, let us join you in this building project. And it wasn't long after that before they began to mock them and to deride them and to scoff at this building project, to discourage the building. And God specifically sent the prophets to support them, to encourage them so that the building of the temple might go on. And here it's as if Jude says, church, may it be the same for us. Only the building project is not the stone of the temple, but instead, build up yourselves as living stones. Edify one another, encourage one another, strengthen each other. And not with empty platitudes, not with mere opinions, not with speculation, but with all the rich ingredients of our holy faith. It begs the question, are you a builder or a destroyer? Are you the friend full of faithfulness or mere flattery? Is it edifying words or is it empty words? Kids, I'm sure your parents have warned you about playing with powerful, dangerous tools, running around with scissors in your hand, playing with a sharp knife, playing with, with fire. But kids, guess what? Your parents missed something. They overlooked something that you have. You have, in fact, one of the most powerful tools ever created. In fact, it's very good and can also be quite, quite dangerous. Can you guess what it is? I'll give you a hint. It's right here. It is your tongue. Your tongue has the power of life and death in it. And so take a word from Jude. That even at this young age, you could use your tongue to edify, to strengthen, to build up others. Secondly, on the antidote agenda, Jude writes, Be constant in prayer, praying in the Holy Spirit. That there is no better defense for the church than for her to lay prostrate in prayer, storming heaven's gates in pleas and petitions, approaching the throne of grace. And so these two things, build up yourselves and praying in the Spirit, are, are participles in the original, which just means they're continuous actions that we're to be doing that fulfill the main verb, the big command that comes next in verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. So how do I keep myself in the love of God? As amazing as it is, how do I do that? Answer, by building yourselves up and praying in the Holy Spirit. And in fact, this is indeed what is required of us, what is commanded of us to remain in God's love. Now maybe you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, no. I, I know my Bible. God is the one who keeps me in his love. Is it God keeping me or is it me keeping me? And the answer is yes. The divine sovereignty and human responsibility harmonize. If I could put it this way, a few weeks ago, my family and I went down to the Gulf for vacation. I had the privilege of taking my oldest son out into the ocean to attempt to catch waves, to ride waves. And my instruction to him was very simple. And it was this, son, when that wave comes, you absolutely must kick your feet and you must paddle your arms with all your might. And if you don't, kick your feet and paddle your arms with all your might. You will not remain on that wave. 
Now, of course, kicking your feet alone doesn't create a wave any more than does standing on top of your head. But it is nevertheless the means to riding a wave. And the same is true in the Christian life, isn't it? We do not create God's love for us. God loves us while we were yet enemies, sinners, dead. And God sovereignly, decisively keeps us in his love. Verse 1 says so of Jude. But our covenantal response is to faithfully kick with all of our might to keep ourselves in God's love. And so Jude says, make every effort with all your might. Kick as violently as you can. Utilize every means of grace to remain in God's love. It's as Philippians says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And what is the only reason you can work out your salvation? For it is God who is at work within you. And so could you answer yes to that? I have made progress in God's love. I have utilized every means of grace. I am actively keeping myself in God's love. I will build and pray. I will pray and build. But I will not take God's love and bury it in the ground. God's love towards me will not be in vain. I will abide in the greatest love there is, resting in the truth that all along I know God is the one keeping me, beginning, middle, and end. So, we have building, praying, keeping, these very active, lively verbs. And so Jude closes out this rapid-fire list of exhortation with a more subdued verb as you look at verse 21. Jude says, Do all those things as you are waiting or as King James says, as you are looking for the mercy of Christ. As a coach of Little League Baseball, I'm constantly convinced of the importance of the small things, the small details. For instance, in hitting a baseball, I'm amazed that the difference between success and failure in hitting a baseball boils down very simply to where you are looking. I can't count the number of times I've said, keep your eye on the ball. I found it funny that a coach should have to say, keep your eye on the ball. Where else are you going to look when a ball is coming at you? (laughs) But such is the nature of wandering eyes. And so it is in the Christian life. Surrounded by all these perilous distractions, Jude says, church, keep your eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Your life, your soul, Your eternity depends upon it. Fix your eyes upon the coming Christ. And do not let the glittering distractions and the empty promises avert your eyes from the gospel promise that he will come and he will usher in eternal blessedness. And so perhaps you're here this morning and you face the haunting specter of a chronic illness. Perhaps you're here this morning and you face the loss of loved ones which seems to ache at every thought. Or perhaps false teaching, bad doctrine has somewhat infected you and has created doubts, fears, worries that you have never had before. Well, Christian, lift up your heart. This is what you are being kept for. The mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that leads to everlasting life. See, the scoffer hopes and prays in vain, in vain that that day will never come. While the Christian hopes and prays in truth that that day cannot come soon enough. Now Jude, as a wise pastor, he knows that the gangrene of false teacher will be met with different responses. Some will doubt, and some will be duped. 
And so as you scan verses 22 through 23, you'll find both. And so firstly, he says to those who doubt, have mercy on them. Instead of despising their doubt, bulldozing them in their doubt, vilifying them in their doubt, show forth compassionate corrections. Speak the truth in love. And while some are weak, others will be more willful, duped, bought into the false teaching. As verse 23 says, they will get so close to these scorching flames that you must forcefully yank them. That there is a time to say with all sober-mindedness that this teaching or that doctrine is straight from the pit of hell. And so goes those who embrace it. Even as verse 23 continues, this is why Jude says it is therefore right, good, to hate the garment stained by the flesh. You may remember the priest Joshua, accused by Satan, specifically for his stained garment, his filthy robes, which is not a jab at his laundry. That is to say, Joshua, you are not fit to stand before the living God. And so Jude says, hate it. And notice he doesn't say hate the wearer of the garment, but hate the garment itself. Even more to the point, the stain. In other words, Jude is simply saying, hate sin. Hate all of its effects. Hate the offense that it is to God. It begs of us the question, do you have a robust hatred? We are all too often weak in our hatred because we are so weak in our love. Hate sin because you long to keep yourself and your brother in the love of God. So there's a word on how to contend, the battle plan of how to contend, to build, to pray, to look for the mercy of Christ. Let us now look at why we praise. And maybe that seems like a really awkward transition on Jude's part. I mean, we just had these very severe, ominous warnings, this garment stained by flesh, the scorching flames. Even the angels themselves are subject to this judgment, very hazardous stuff. And now Jude seems to just spontaneously burst into this word of praise. And maybe thinking, Jude, have you, have you forgot the laws of literature? You can't just transition that abruptly. Keep it practical. Oh, but it takes just a moment of reflection, doesn't it? That truly that the only strength, the only hope, the only salvation that we have is in our great God. Then it makes perfect sense that truly the power of God, our only Savior, sincerely is our refuge. Then we say, yes, Jude, Lead us on. What better close than to praise God? And so Jude firstly praises God for what God does in verse 24. So we're thinking in terms of God's ability. What can God do? And we see God's able to do two things. Two things that you will see only God can do. And I am convinced that if we were to grasp these two things, we truly would contend for the faith with more vigor, more faithfulness with more hustle. And so here's what Jude says. Number one, praise God, verse 24, that he's able to keep you from stumbling. And just remember the book of Jude. He's enumerated all these stumbles, false teachers, angels, church division, this toxic combination of false teaching, which leads to false living. And by now we might be pleading, what possible hope do I have in light of all these dangers to not stumble? And Jude will not let us have small thoughts about God. He says, praise God that your help comes from nothing less than the maker of heaven and earth who will not let your foot slip. I remember years ago, 
I had the good fortune to travel to New Zealand and to hike the Franz Joseph Glacier. And so before we set out on this mountain of ice, the trail guide looked at me and he handed me a pair of, of snow cleats, ice cleats, which is to say just really long spikes that strap over your boots that you wear on this glacier, on this ice. Typical male, I didn't really give it any thought. I don't need those, no worries. And of course, it wasn't soon before I'm walking around on this glacier and slipping and sliding like a newborn toddler that I realized why well, he said, yeah, you absolutely must put on these snow spikes. And I quickly realized that on my own two feet, if it was just me and my two feet, I would endlessly stumble. And so take heart this morning, Christian. You are not on your own two feet. Take heart that if constant temptations, unrelenting doubts, fears make it seem like any moment my faith will slip, I will stumble, renew your courage this morning in the God who is able, and because He is able, He will, He will keep you from stumbling. Secondly, not only is God able to prevent us from stumbling, He is able, still in verse 24, to present you. The image in the original is that of, of, of taking someone and being able to stand them upright, put them on their feet, present them before someone. So just catch the mechanics. Not only does God keep us from stumbling, He's also able to present us, make us stand, which begs the immediate question, okay, present me to whom? Before whom is this presentation ceremony occurring? And the answer is God is able to present you to Himself. It is wonderfully circular. God says, allow me to present you back to myself. And as if this is not already full of awesome wonder, verse 24 continues, and we see what is the atmosphere of this presentation. It is before the presence of his glory. This has been man's quest since the fall. That Adam is exiled away from God's glory. That Moses gets just a peak of God's glory whilst hidden in the rock. That Israel gets just a passing sight of God's glory in the glory cloud. That Peter, James, and John get to see the transfigured, glorious Christ, but for a moment. But not this. This is not foggy glory. This is not obscure glory. This is presented before God in the radiance of His splendor. And as you think about that, and perhaps as your heart is exhilarated, I hope it is exhilarated at that thought, your heart may well go from soaring to sinking. Because you think, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm going to be presented before the holy God who is of purer eyes than to behold evil. I'm going to be presented before the God that if He were to mark iniquities, then no one could stand before Him. What possible hope is there for me to stand before Him in His glory? We'll look again at verse 24. Because not only is God going to stand us upright, He is going to present us, keyword, as blameless. As blameless. I can recall with great clarity my time at military college, and what we would often have was personal appearance inspection, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's an inspection of your personal appearance. And so as a cadet, you would do your absolute best to shine your shoes, to clean your uniform and press it straight, to align all your medals, and then you would wait and wait. And the most notorious inspection of all was General Mace. And I can still remember today, you're standing there and you catch that imposing figure of General Mace at the corner of your eye. 
as he makes his way down. And without fail, every time, General Mace, when it's your turn, would approach you with total disregard for your personal space. (laughs) And he would look at your shoes and your belt and your uniform and your brass. And every time, without fail, he would take that giant cigar out of his mouth and he would say something like, unshined shoes, tarnished brass, dirty uniform, with some other colorful adjectives that I can't say here. (laughs) And then he was gone. Now what was he saying? He was declaring that in his presence, I was blameful, that I had stain, that I had a defect, that I was found wanting and not in accord with military standards. And what amates mankind who will be judged not with contrived military standards, but with the standards of the one true and living God who knows the very motives of our hearts. And so here afresh the weightiness of what Jude is saying, that you would be presented with no defect, with no blemish, with no stain of sin. And so if you're here this morning and not a Christian, you must know that you likewise will stand before this God who is so pure He can look upon no evil. And I realize that you probably think of yourself as quite a good person, as quite a decent fellow. And you need to hear the testimony of Scripture that there's none good. There's none righteous. There's none who can stand before this God in their current state. And in your current state, you are in fact blameful and spotted and at fault. But hear what Jude is saying. That the same God, the judge, is God, the gracious Savior, one and the same. Because He has provided His Son a full atonement, full salvation for any and all who would repent of their sin and come to Him in faith alone. And to the people of God, what a glorious truth that God, He could present anything to Himself. He could present the sun, He could present the moon, He could present the stars, He could present the deepest waters. He wants to present us. He wants to make His face shine upon us. He wants to present us in His presence. And that is why you can see at the end of verse 24, this ceremony is not one of dread. It is not one of fear. It is, in fact, mega magnified joy. Unrelenting joy. For in the presence of God is the fullness of joy. Okay, we've answered the what. What is God able to do? Keep me from stumbling. Present me in His presence. If that's the what, it's vital to ask how. Well, how does God do this? How does God carry out this mission? And you look at the next verse, Jude sums it up in one simple phrase. Verse 25, through Jesus Christ our Lord. How can I be blameless? It is only through Jesus Christ. There is no amount of moralistic effort that will remove my spots. It is only the spotless Lamb of God. How will you be kept from stumbling? It is only through Jesus Christ my mediator, my great high priest, who can sympathize with me in all of my weaknesses and stumbles, the author and perfecter of my faith. We can further ask, well, how will you stand before God with this mega joyful praise? Answer, it is only through Jesus Christ. For it is Christ who puts all enemies under His feet. It is Christ who presents the bride. It is Christ who stands up and says, Father, here I am with all the children that You gave me. No one has snatched them from my hand. See, our being kept really is truly a Trinitarian mission. 
It is through Christ, by the Spirit, that God keeps us in His love. So that is the how. One last question for Jude. Why does God do this? And you can look at the second half of verse 25. If I could just simply say it, I, I would say, to make much of Himself, that we might praise Him. Jude summons us to this praise, saying, Praise the glorious God to whom belongs all the weightiness of salvation. Praise the majestic God who dwells in unapproachable light. Praise the God who has all dominion from sea to sea, from everlasting to everlasting. Indeed, the only one who can keep me from stumbling. Praise the God who has all authority on heaven and on earth. Indeed, if God is for us, who could possibly be against us? And lastly, praise Him all the more that our great God has no self-improvement plan. He is not getting a personality makeover. Jude says, no, He is eternally perfect, unchangeably good. He's worthy of this praise before all time, now and forever. And so as we begin to close this text, as well as considering the main point of Jude overall, which is to contend for the faith, let us lay up in our hearts two uses Two applications from this portion of Scripture. Firstly, contend for the faith with prayer. Contend for the faith with much prayer. Recall the scoffers are without the Spirit, but Jude says you pray in the Spirit. For God gives the Spirit not to the so-called super-spiritual, but only to those who are in Christ, so that through the Spirit you have access to our great God. That our duty and delight is to be constant in prayer. To pray in the Spirit by His guidance, by His prompting, by His leading. That the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That the Spirit convicts us of our sin. That the Spirit convinces us of God's grace. So that we truly can come before God with boldness and with confidence. Even to approach this same majestic, glorious God as none other than our Father who art in heaven. So firstly, contend for the faith with prayer. But secondly, contend for the faith with praise. As it pertains to Jude, there is this indissoluble relationship between what you praise and what you fight for. That what you praise and what you fight for are interrelated. Just ask any king in relation to his country. Ask any man in relation to his wife. Ask even a simple sports fan in relation to the favorite team. That whatever is praiseworthy, we will contend for. And whatever we fight for, we are inclined to praise. And friends, Jude is is not written to God's mercenaries. Jude is written to God's beloved children. Saints who are kept in the love of God by the Son of God. And so Christian... Contend for the God who is worthy of all praise. And praise the God who is worthy of all our contending. Indeed, the very God who keeps you and presents you in His presence of His glory with great joy forever and ever. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do praise You that You are the God of all glory, majesty, dominion and power and we praise you that you use such glory and dominion and majesty and power to keep us in your love and even prevent us from stumbling and even more so 
to present us in your presence of the fullness of your splendor and of your majesty and for our joy. And so we pray as we continue to fight the good fight, help us do so. Help us contend for the faith with faithfulness, with prayer, and above all, with praise to you, our great God. And we ask this in Jesus' name, and amen. Beloved, we continue to worship with our